The Optometry Talks podcast series is brought to you by Optometry New South Wales ACT, your peak professional body. Welcome to episode four of Optometry Talks, the seven crucial steps to starting out in the optometry profession. I'm Audrey Malloy, and today I'll be talking with Optometry New South Wales ACT CEO Andrew McKinnon about everything you need to know about registration, joining your peak professional body, getting set up with the Medicare provider number and prescriber number, and all the other red tape involved in becoming a fully-fledged optometrist. I'm also joined today by Paula Catalinic, Professional Services Manager at Optometry New South Wales ACT. Hello, Andrew and Paula. Morning, Audrey. Morning, Audrey. Andrew, I'll start with you. It's getting close to the end of the year and many students are about to graduate. What's the first step to getting organised to work in the optometry profession? Um, Audrey, it probably won't come as any surprise that the first step to practising as an optometrist is being registered. So, um, apart from graduating, which we'll talk about in a sec, um, once you have done that or prior to doing that, you need to apply to APRA for registration as an optometrist. And you can do that in advance of your final graduation certificate. Um, once you have applied to APRA, um, the board, uh, sorry, the university, once you graduate, will advise APRA that that is the case. They will then match the university's information with your application and the registration process will commence. That will typically take until around about the middle of January for most people, um, although bear in mind that at that time of year, all the professions are registering and so sometimes it can be a bit slower than that. Okay, so it's not really intuitive. It's actually step one, register, step two, graduate. Yes, yeah, well, step one is apply for registration. Apply, okay. Step two is graduate, then step three, which now happens outside your, uh, outside your sphere, is that the board and APRA go through and actually complete the registration process. Okay, so Paula, there's always been a bit of confusion about APRA and the Optometry Board of Australia. What, what exactly is the difference? Yeah, it's really confusing actually. So APRA is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency. So that's the board that supports the 15, the body, sorry, the body that supports the 15 national boards that are responsible for regulating the various health professions like nursing, physiotherapy and optometry. So one of those boards under APRA is the Optometry Board of Australia, or the OBA as we call it. So their primary role, the OBA's role, is to protect the public and they set the standards and policies that all registered optometrists must meet. Uh, APRA and OBA are often kind of used interchangeably as terms, but OA, or Optometry Australia, is totally separate. So OA exists to support and represent their member optometrists. Right, so that's the peak professional body. Exactly. Okay. And Andrew, have you also found this sort of confusion persists with optometrists? Oh, look, it does. Um, we still have optometrists who've been out in practice for many years um, think that the association is their registering body and vice versa. So, yes, it is a common misconception, but as Paula said, it's critically important to understand the role that those three um, institutional organisations play because they are very, very different. Okay, so Andrew, once you've graduated, the, the next step in your transition is to change your OA membership from student status to immediate graduate. Can you tell us why this is important and what it's likely to cost? 
Sure. Um, so when you're an undergraduate student, um, we are delighted to have you as what we call student members. Now, even though it's called a student member, you're actually not a full financial member of the association. You're, you're affiliated and you get all our resources, but there's a, a few things you don't get. Um, the critically important transition is to go from a student, and I'll call them affiliate, to a member, an immediate graduate member of the association. That makes you a full member. That gives you access to all the resources and all the support of the association. And very critically, it gives you access to our professional indemnity insurance cover, um, without which you obviously cannot practice. So that's why it is so important. And sometimes students overlook this when they transition into practice. It is so important that you transition your membership and only you can do it from student to immediate graduate. I would send a reminder to, to, to our student members to let them know it's time to transition to immediate graduates. We do. We send a number of reminders. Um, sometimes they get overlooked and we've had people think they were uh, members with us many, many months after they started practicing only to find out that they had missed those particular emails. Right. So when we come to you and say, please upgrade your membership from student to immediate graduate, there's a very important reason that we're making that request. Okay, and so what's the, does it, um, what does the student have to pay to become an immediate, immediate um, member, immediate well, graduate member? Well, this is the best news of the day. It's actually free. Um, so for the first six months of practice, whether you graduate from UNSW or from Deakin, and Deakin graduates in the middle of the year, so there's slightly different arrangements, but the net result is the first six months of practice are free. Okay. And then the, the second or the first full year subsequent to that is at a heavily discounted rate. Okay, so they get, they get eased into it gradually. They do. Okay, so Andrew, the membership benefits of, opt of Optometry Australia are tailored to each stage of your professional career. Can you talk us through some of the key benefits for final year optometry students and how those benefits change once you graduate? So as a student or a late late stage student, one of the main things that uh, we do for you is to help you with your job search. So we take, we help you take the stress out of job hunting, it's never stress free, but things like contract reviews. Um, you've probably never seen a contract, we've seen hundreds of them. Um, salary benchmarking, we know what people are paying within different areas. So Sydney Metro, so Bondi is different to Penrith, is different to Orange, is different to Dubbo we can give you a guide depending on where you are going to be practicing as to what your likely salary is going to be. Um, and through the association's website, you have access to um, Australia-wide information on jobs. So you may not want to work in New South Wales. You might be looking in regional Queensland or in WA. Um, you have access to that information as well. Um, once you've found a job, uh, we can help you to be... Um, practice ready, if you like. Um, we've got a, a guide on getting ready and then there's there's one coming shortly, which Audrey will talk about in a moment on the first, the first little period of when you're out in practice. Um, we've got access to optometry networks, wherever you are, whether that's Sydney, country, interstate, um, we can help you to connect with your colleagues uh, around the area. And resources on how to be a good employee. Um, we have written resources on what it's like to be an employee and an employer, the things you should do, the traps to avoid. Um, 
I suppose critically, what we help you to do is maximise your employment opportunity. Um, membership of the profession, um, demonst- or membership of the association, I should say, demonstrates your commitment to your profession and it helps you to contribute to positive change and the expanding scope of practice of the profession as we move forward into the future. Okay, so Andrew, does that does the emphasis shift a little once you actually add in practice and you're an early career optometrist? Um, how, how does OA membership support you then? So having moved, having finished your course, graduated, got a job, you're right. Now you're out in the, in the workforce. Um, so what we do then, I'm a, a part, there's a range of things that we do. Um, once you've selected a position, we're going to help you to keep it, or if at some stage you want to change it, we can help you with that process as well. Um, we can help you to transition from being a student to being a professional. And it's my two optometry colleagues here will talk shortly about what, it, what the difference is between being a student examining somebody to being an independent professional examining somebody. It's, it's a pretty big jump. And supporting your professional growth with access to on-demand evidence-based CPD and mentoring. So the stuff that the association puts together in terms of its CPD is extremely robust. You know that the information we're presenting to you is good. It's solid. Membership also provides confidential assistance in keeping you out of trouble, another interesting area that we're going to touch more on later on. Um, Support with HR issues, Medicare and health fund investigations and audits. Um, Resources to help you build clinical confidence and navigate around the regulatory environment, which gets more complex almost by the day. And we provide hotline assistance with personalised clinical guidance and things like access to legal resources. Um, We also do things around career choices and job security. The, The association's professional indemnity policy is one of the market leaders. Um, It allows you to go and practice anywhere you like. So whether you're practicing for a small independent or a large corporate, if you want to go out and do some locum work on the weekend, our policy allows you to do that. Um, Opportunities to add your voice for positive change and as I said before, the expanded scope of practice. As a dynamic profession, we're always growing. We're always looking for new things that the profession should be involved in and your voice can contribute to that. Resources on how to get through the early part of your employment through that probationary period and how to negotiate performance reviews and pay rises. And as I said before, access to an Australia-wide jobs board. Um, All of this is in addition to all the other support and, and assistance we provide. Advocacy with government, consumer campaigns, publications, advantage programs which can save you considerable money on a range of things so there's a there's a whole range of stuff but that's a a pretty small snapshot of what we can do for our early career colleagues okay it's very comprehensive Um, and you've touched on professional indemnity insurance there um can you just talk a little bit more about that i mean in terms of so we, we we've registered now your name has appeared on the public register with opera as a registered optometrist where does professional indemnity insurance come in when you when you start work? Okay, so one of the key requirements of being able to practice as an optometrist in Australia is that you are covered by professional indemnity insurance, and you without it you cannot practice. That's one of the key tenets of registration. So 
our cover, the cover that's available to you through your membership, ensures that it meets the standard and exceeds the standard set by the board. And as I said before, it will cover you no matter what your mode of practice anywhere in Australia. It can also be extended overseas if you want to go and practice in New Zealand or in the UK, for example. Uh, you can get a cover to take you over there as well. So critical thing, probably the most important thing you must have when you start out is professional indemnity insurance. I just got an inquiry today from someone who was going to do some charity work in Papua New Guinea and she wants to know if that will be covered and apparently you get 120 days cover for working for charities or other overseas mission work in, in any country except for the US. Is, is, that, is that right? Correct, that's right. So if you want to go and, as you said, PNG or we have uh, groups going to Cambodia and Vietnam, Pacific Islands, correct, our policy will offer you cover in those circumstances as well. So even if you're working for a corporate where a PI may be included in your contract, having the um, OA professional indemnity insurance opens up all those options to work as a locum or to work overseas or to work with charities and be covered uh, comprehensively by professional indemnity insurance. Yes, it does. Um, one of the things to be aware is that the cover provided your, by your employer may, and you would need to check with them, only cover you whilst you are actually working for them in their setting. So as you said, if you wanted to do locum work or you wanted to go and work as a volunteer overseas, there is a chance that your employer's policy may not cover you. Need to check it, but there's a very strong likelihood that that would be the case. Okay, so I think we're up to step four, Paula. Um, so can you talk us through applying for your Medicare and PBS provider numbers? Sure, so once you've got your registration with the Optometry Board of Australia, and just note that you can get online and actually check the public register to see if you're on there. I'd also say check to make sure that you've got your scheduled medicines endorsement listed, because we had an optometrist last year that it, they accidentally didn't list that against their name, so it's worthwhile checking. Once you've got that registration with OBA, you can now apply for your initial Medicare provider number. Now I say initial because it's a slightly different process for the first provider number as opposed to additional provider numbers. So there's no online form for the initial provider number in that you need to actually download the online PDF form and you'll need to actually complete it in black and black oh, or blue old pen, style. really odd style. So we've actually got the link to that PDF form in our e-guide. Um, so at the same time, you can also apply for your PBS prescriber number. That's in the same document. Question eight, you need to say that you would like to also provide, uh, apply for a PBS prescriber number so you can write um, therapeutic prescriptions. Okay, so um, the, so all these links that you're talking about, they're all available from our, um, our free ebook for members, Starting Out, a resource for optometrists beginning their career which is available on our website, and I'll talk about it again in a few minutes. But any, any links or uh, resources that are mentioned throughout this podcast mm -hmm. are all collated together in that resource um, and available free for members. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just coming back to this Medicare provider number, Paula, mm -hmm. um, if you work at more than one location, do you need more than one provider number or PBS provider number? And how do you go about getting those extra numbers? So you need a provider number for each and every location that you work at. Um, as opposed to your prescriber number for writing prescriptions, you only need one of those. Okay. So you just need, yeah, just remember that. You just need to apply for a new provider number for each location. Um, so your employer may have several practice locations. Mm -hmm. just, you need one for each location. And how do you go about getting those? So this, the additional provider numbers, it's a little bit easier and quicker because you can provide uh, get these through Health Professional Online Services or HPOS. 
Um, it means that you receive your provider number straight away if you do it online. Okay. Um, but just note that you'll need a Proder account to access these HBOS services. So is that something you can just set up online yourself quite quickly? Um, that's my understanding. You'll need to go through a bit of a process online, but it's Prodis stands for Provider Digital Access. So you okay. need that to use to the online HBOS. services. Exactly. And then you can get as many provider numbers as you want for whatever. Exactly. Practices. And what if you're a locum and you're sort of that, you know, sort of need, need unlimited um, provider numbers for all the different places you might work? How yeah. do you get around that? I think the easiest way is probably to set up a provider number at your home address. You can't do that one online though. You have to do that on, uh, on a similar paper form, exactly. Um, just with Proda, going back to Proda for a moment, that provider digital access also allows you to access a whole range of other activities, oh, sorry, other services, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, things like online claiming, uh, managing your details online, managing patient claiming information, and also viewing Medicare bulk billing claims. Okay, so that's all online. That's, that's all right. online, yeah. Andrew, here's a common question we get every year. Can a new grad start seeing patients before they actually get their Medicare provider number? There is a lag, isn't there, from when they register to when they get their provider number? Yes, there is. Um, so the the way of doing it is you must be registered before you can practice. So that's the APRA process. Once you have been registered, round about the middle of January, you can start practicing. Now, you can't have applied for a Medicare provider number until you are registered. So there is going to be a lag, correct. The way in which this is normally dealt with is that you stockpile the claims and then once your Medicare provider number comes through, you submit them. Mm -hmm. um, yes, that creates this odd spike in your profile in the first few weeks of practice, but it doesn't matter because Medicare sees it every year and pays no attention to it. Okay. So short answer is, yes, you can start practicing as soon as you are registered whilst you're waiting for your provider number to come through. Okay. Now, back to Paula. Um, all new graduates from UNSW and, and the other Australian universities, they're qualified to prescribe scheduled medicines. So how do they go about step six, which is ordering their PBS stationery to write these scripts? Okay, so there's a specific uh, link that we've provided in our, our ebook where you can go and order your PBS stationery, and that can either be for printing or for handwriting. So you can get okay. either. Um, so you just need to go, really just go to that link. Um, you need to fill it out online and then print it so they won't accept handwritten forms. It's kind of the opposite to the other form, actually. Right. Okay, so, so, so this gives you your prescription pad that you can exactly. write prescriptions or you can do it Or the paper version. that you can put into your okay. into your printer. Exactly. Um, okay. And um, so, Andrew, the, the seventh step in the, in, the, in the process is to find out if you need a working with children check. Can you tell us about how this works in the, in the different states? Um, I'll defer to my uh, national colleagues. They have a very good uh, resource, which is in um, the, uh, the little ebook that we've been talking about, which takes you through the, the different states because they vary by state. So very briefly, in New South Wales, if you work in a practice which sees children regularly, you will need a working with children check. If you work in a practice which sees children rarely, as in less than five times a year, or always sees children with another adult present in the room, you won't need a working with children check. However, um, it's our recommendation that unless you genuinely don't see children, um, it is easier and safer for you to get a working with children check. That means that if a child attends unexpectedly or if you're 
in an examination and a parent walks out of the room, for example, there's no problem for you. In the ACT, it is not necessary for an optometrist or a health professional to have one. If you are interacting with children within um, the scope of your normal professional practice. So as an optometrist, if you're seeing children in an optometric setting, you're fine. If you're an optometrist and you're volunteering at your local daycare centre, you do need one because that's not the, your normal healthcare setting. So ACT one's just a little bit little bit different. So the safest thing to do is to actually go on and look, look at how it applies to your specific circumstances, where you work, how you Absolutely. work. Absolutely. It is very spe- very and, state specific. And so yes. that link to, the link to all the state um, resources on working with children checks are also included in our in our ebook. Okay, so um, well, we've, we've, we've gone through the seven crucial steps now in, in transitioning to a professional optometrist. Well, what else does a new graduate need to know about writing a therapeutic prescription? Firstly, it's probably a good idea to know all of the medicines that you can prescribe and know how that interacts with the the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. So -hmm. you can go onto the Optometry Board of Australia website and look at a document called Guidelines for the Use of Scheduled Medicines. Mm -hmm. So it's really good. I think you should read that if you're going to be prescribing medicines. Under Appendix B, you'll actually find the full list of medicines that we can prescribe as optometrists. Right. But just note that that's not exactly the same list that's covered by the PBS. So the pharmaceutical benefits scheme um, will cover specific medicines uh, and for specific purposes in some cases. So they'll actually, um, and we'll come back to that a little bit later about the the particular um, restrictions that might. So so the majority of medicines that we're, uh, that optometrists are allowed to prescribe are generally covered. Generally covered. So there's there's sort of exceptions to it to be aware of. Small exceptions, but yes, exactly. And so so what if a drug is not covered by PBS? Then what happens if you want to prescribe it? So it's possible to write a private script for a medicine. Um, Two examples would be one, if, if it's not listed on the PBS, or secondly, if it's listed on PBS, but there's a restriction on it that you actually want to prescribed for some other reason mm-hmm. you can write a private script but just note that your patient will be paying the full fee for the medicine and can you, can you write that on your same prescription pad you normally use yeah so you can cross out the pbs and make sure that you've written private scripts on it okay okay um now you just mentioned there on restricted benefit and, and so what is that and how do you write a script for this kind of medicine so some of the pbs listed drugs have a specific criteria that must be met in order for you to actually write that prescription and attract a PBS subsidy. So an example would be writing a prescription for prednisolone for a patient with uveitis. So the patient must have uveitis for you to prescribe prednisolone under the PBS. Um, now to check whether or what, what the restriction is, you have to you can go onto the PBS website. Um, we've provided the link to the list of optometric item codes and medicines. Mm-hmm. So if you click on the item code, which is like the second column from the left, um, and then click on the red text, you'll actually see which, uh, which disease is the restriction. So okay. I might say uveitis yeah, sure. or severe dry eye, for instance. And that's all explained in the ebook as well. That's all explained yeah. and the links are there so you can go on and have a look at that list. Okay. Um, and so if some, say if someone needs a prescription for prednisolone because they've had cataract surgery and they've, they've used up all the drops and you, you know, you're co-managing the patient, you can't write that prescription for prednisolone on a PBS, as a PBS script, That's it doesn't right. meet the criteria. It might be better to get the ophthalmologist to write, write it in that, that in case, case, because otherwise they have to, otherwise pay, for they have to pay full, yeah, yeah, full yeah. fee for it. Exactly. Okay, and there's also such a thing as a streamlined authority benefit. No, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? So 
A streamlined authority is required for certain conditions, um, and the main one is the, the lubricating drops. You can't just prescribe lubricants for every patient. Oh, okay. Okay, so you'll need, to write a streamlined authority script, you need a four-digit authority code. Um, now, we've got these two codes for you already. You don't need to call up and find out every time. They don't change. They're always the same. Um, and they can, there's specific circumstances in which you can use the streamlined authorities. Uh, so one example is severe dry eye or the second is the patient's sensitive to preservatives or in multi-dose eye drops. So they need, say, a preservative-free. And you can make that call as a practitioner? Yes, but you need it fully noted down in your in clinical records. Record. Exactly. So you have, you have to make a reference to that in your, in your patient record? That's right. So and you use that specific code to be able to prescribe exactly. cellulose or whatever as a... That's um, right. So there's two codes. There's the 6172, which is unit dose tier supplements, okay. and 4105, which is Hilo Fresh or Hilo Fort. So okay. they're the so other two very numbers. very specific. Very specific, exactly. So if you want to find out whether a streamlined authority applies to a particular medicine, uh, go to the PBS website, click on the same column that I talked about earlier, the second column from the left, click on the red text, and you'll see the criteria that are required to prescribe that that drop. Okay, it's very helpful. Now, to complement this podcast, we've also put together an excellent ebook that we've been referring to um, to support you step by step through the transition from student to new grad optometrist. Starting out, a resource for optometrists beginning their career is available to download free for all OA members, including student members, from the New South Wales ACT pages of our website, optometry.org.au. If you have any trouble finding it, don't hesitate to contact us at the New South Wales ACT or National Office or email us for a direct link to this essential resource. I'd like to thank Andrew and Paula for joining me here today and sharing their knowledge. Stay tuned for episode five of Optometry Talks, the first 90 days avoiding common pit pitfalls as a new grad optometrist, which is coming very soon. Thank you. This episode of Optometry Talks was brought to you compliments of Optometry New South Wales ACT. 